Welcome to a Revival House sermon where we champion you to become the unveiling of Jesus to this world. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together. Look out. Uh, Continually woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his purpose. We all know that verse, right? For he knew all of us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family. Hello, family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Amen. Right? Praise the Lord. And, uh, hey, while we're having fun, let's go to James chapter 1. Getting to the 1. Right there. Oh, I love this. Again, in the Passion. So, 23. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning, and you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word. But then you go out and forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. I just wanted to read some of these things so I can lay a little bit of a groundwork before I spiral. But, you know, Romans 8 says that you were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Just one way of saying it, right? Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 6 says that you were chosen before the foundations of the earth. You were chosen before the world was created. And then I love in James how uh, Brian Simmons notes that he says, in the word you discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. And he, uh, and down here in a footnote, talks about how he also could say, realizing his beginning, his genesis face, or studying the face he was born with. So if... If God planned out, even before he created creation, that these are my people. This is what you're going to look like. This is who you are. You were predestined, and I'm not a Calvinist. Don't ever put that near me. I'm not a Calvinist in that way, but you were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, and you were also chosen before the foundations of the world to be adopted, right? And And in the same way, within James, it says that you look into this mirror and you see your Genesis face. You see what you were always created to be. And it says when you look into this mirror, as he pulls it out, that this is the mirror of his word. And when he says the mirror of his word, we need to realize the way New Testament writers write, not the way, uh, you know, Westerners think. And that is when it says the word, it's talking about Jesus. He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among men. And we gazed upon his glory, right? So he is the word that became fresh. Flesh. This is Jesus in print is the way uh, Bill Johnson likes to say it. But 
Jesus is the Word. He is the living, acting representation of who God is. He is what God has to say about himself. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. It's pretty tangible. And you know, even in Revelations 3.8, it's talking about the mark of the beast, not the mark of the beast, but it's talking about the beast and stuff. And in the same time, it mentions and it says that there's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. So we already know that you were already planned. Predestined does not mean that you don't have a choice. It means that you have a choice, but his plan was always for you to look like Jesus before the foundations of the earth. And even before the foundations of the earth, the lamb that was slain before he created everything was the plan was already in place. The plan was already there. And so I, I, I have to do just a little bit of review. But it's, it's, it's so beautiful to me that, see, I'm reading these verses and I'm looking at these things. And it's kind of like in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, you know, it says, and I love the way Francois kind of worded this. He says, but now we may know even as we have always been known. Now we may know even as we have always been known. You've always been known by the Father. And when you look into the mirror of who Jesus is, then you see what you have always been. And this is a wonderful statement he also makes, is that God saw us in Christ, in his death and resurrection, before we saw even ourselves there. That's how he sees you. So, we've been talking a little bit about, and it's, it carries so much life, is the journey of what this looks like before time even began. The most important thing, what is the most important thing that you believe? The Trinity. All right? We, I keep saying it, I'm going to keep saying it, because the most important thing you believe is the Trinity. It's the foundation of your faith. It's the differentiation of your faith according to every other faith in all of the world is because God is three in one, and he is a relational being. Athanasius said, if God was ever a moment, he could be single, could be one, then he could be other than 100% relational. But because before anything was created in this world, God was three in one. It was Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. And they were loving each other in this dynamic relationship called life. And they shared this fellowship. And it was, it was so close. It was so intimate. It was so real for them that the early church fathers said, this is perichoresis. This is a circle dance of love that it perpetually goes on. And all of life originates inside of this. All of life originates in the perichoresis of the triune life that holds all of things together. And so the most important thing that we believe is the Trinity. And the most important thing is that we know there was never a moment they were not three loving each other. Because the only is statement about God is that he is love. And if he is agape, if he is other-centered and not self-centered, that is explained in the Trinity. Is that there was never a moment in anything before the world was ever created, and there will never be a moment after anything ever happens, that God is not a relational being, and there is never a moment that he won't be love. And in that love, the best description is that you are other-centered. 
that everything you do is for the other person just because you love them. Father looks at Jesus and says, I love you for who you are. I love you for what you look like. I love this so much. And he's not doing that so Jesus will say, oh, well, I love you too, God. Thanks for complimenting me. He's actually saying, I love you for you, and if you never return it, I'm totally good because I'm God. But at the same time, he's not being self-centered. And Jesus then returns that because he is agape. He is love. And this is why that you were created. Before anything ever became to be, they said, we want to share this life, this fellowship. And they did not do it for a self-centered reason. They did not do it so that you could give them something they don't want. They did it because they wanted to share. Because that's how good our God is. Right? I'm going to try to f- fly through these things so I can get to some other stuff. But in that reality, if Revelation says that the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world, is that the plan was always. This is... Get this down in your mind. The plan was always for Jesus to be the incarnate son. It was not the backup plan. A lot of times we, we, we think through creation and we go, all right, well, God had all these angels and then they messed up, right? And then Satan falls or something like that and we're like, plan A falls apart. And then he makes creation and man and then that falls apart. And then, you know, and then now we're on plan B. And so then he sends Jesus. Right? So now you're already to like almost plan C by that time. But in reality, that's not what God's like. Is that from the very beginning, he said, we want to create people for the purpose of sharing this life with. That inside of fellowship and safety and inside of love, life comes out of that place. And they said, we want to share this life with humanity. And Jesus, you are going to become one of them so that you can be God in flesh, the incarnation of God. And you will go down there and you will live in them and you will live inside their skin and whatever that costs, we're going to pay it. But then you're going to bring them back here. You are going to seat them in heavenly places. You are going to bring them here so that they can share in the Trinitarian life. And that does not happen when you die. Sorry, that's (laughs) Plato. That's Plato, this far distant heaven way off in the distance. Sorry, it's not the New Testament, it's Plato. Well, the reality is, as Jesus said, heaven is at hand and at grasp. That's what Jesus has to say about heaven, is that it is actually a tangible reality that you begin to live in right now. And so the plan was always. And sin just showed the journey that it was going to take and the price that it was going to be paid. And I'm actually going to not fully talk about the whole side of the, the sin issue and the delusion that we were thrown into for the purpose of this one thing is that Jesus came as the creator, sustainer, and holder of all things, right? The incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. He came for that purpose, pur- purpose that Jesus would say, all right, as we know, the word says that Jesus, that all things were created through, by, and in Jesus. And nothing has come to be that is not without Jesus. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. 
So all of creation, the whole cosmos, everything is held together by God. The God particle, as scientists call it. But everything is contained inside of him. So whatever happens to the person that contains creation, creation then gets subjected to that as well. And Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down into Adam's delusion, his sin problem, his disease, and I am not going to lay down my Trinitarian life. If Jesus is the sustainer of all things, can he stop sustaining things when he's in Adam's skin? It's not a trick question. He didn't go, oh, 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 God, will you hold the universe real quick? I'll be right back. (laughs) You hold everything together for a little bit. I'll hop down there, and then I'll come back, and then you can give me that back, and you can have your hands free. Let's not do stupid things, okay, people? But no, Jesus, this is what the early church believed about the incarnation, the beauty of what Jesus was, is that not once, he says, I am face to face with my Father, and I have perfect union with him, and I am the creator and sustainer of all things, and, but I'm going to go become a human. I'm going to become man. I'm going to be fully God and fully man. And I'm going to become this. And I am going to continue to stay inside the Trinitarian dance. But now I'm doing it in Adam's skin. He did it for you. And he also is the sustainer of all things. And he did that inside of Adam's skin. And the beautiful part of the story is that when Jesus dies... He plunges all of creation into death because he's, we are inside of him. He killed Adam on that day because he took all of us with him. But in likewise, he said, when you rose with me, you, when I rose, you all rose with me because all of creation, all of human, all of you, a whole new creation came about when Jesus resurrected. But this is, this is what I really want to get to. Is that when Jesus rose from the grave, we resurrected with him, right? Then what happened when he ascended to the right hand of the Father? Is that if we are inside of Jesus, the container, sustainer, creator of all things, and that person says, now I'm going to the right hand of the Father, then all of us, we're ascended to the right hand of the Father. That what happened is we were brought into the Trinitarian life. And he says, what did Jesus say? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. What's the most abundant life that he can give you? Is face to face with the Father. Because he prays right before he goes to the cross that he says, God, we are face to face. Pros is that word. I was with you in the beginning, with is pros. I was face to face with you in the beginning. And God, now I'm coming to be face to face with you again. But now I want them to be with us as I am with you and that you would live inside of them. God, I want you to be pros with them. I want you to be face to face with them. Because he says, no man has seen the Father. Jesus comes declaring, no one saw the Father correctly. No one has seen the Father. But I do nothing that I don't see the Father doing so that you can see him now and you can come face to face with the Father. And when Jesus ascended and he took creation to the right hand of the Father and he said, here they are, I've gone into the far country and now I have brought them home. I have gone after the sheep that have run away from me and I've brought them home, Father. They did not do it by their own works. They did not do it by their own strength. They did not do it by their own righteousness. They did it purely by letting me carry them.
And Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and you have been released into the Trinitarian life dance of Jesus. And so, Jesus says in John 15, that you can do nothing apart from me, for I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you want to be fruitful, you live in life union with me. He didn't say, if you try really, really hard and stop sinning, I'll bless you. He said, if you will come and just live in union with me, is that if you will come and come to that revelation of who I am in you, then you can live in life and life more abundantly. He, he, He declared, eternity is this, that you would know the Father and that you and the Father would be known by you. That's eternity. Eternity is not a far distant heaven. Maybe that's afterlife stuff, but eternity is that you would know him, experience him, taste him, see him. The same knowing that Adam knew Eve to bear a son is the know God used there. Jesus says that is what eternity is going to be like. That is the knowing. But the question is, we've said, all right, you're right. The problem we face is this is let me go after some of your stuff the issue that we have in the legal model of what Jesus did on the cross is this if we say all right man sinned and suddenly god goes oh i'm so angry at sin and i want to i want to release my wrath upon that right and then Jesus goes, I'll get in the way of that, and I'll take all of your wrath, Jesus. I'll take, all of your, or I'll take all of your wrath, God, and I'll take all of your anger so that you don't take it out upon them, right? And what essentially we're saying is God was really loving and great, and then the fall happens, and then God's like, oh, now I have to do something. And suddenly God takes off the, takes off the image of Father and now has to put on the image and the gavel of judge. And we essentially are saying, whether you think it or not, essentially we're saying is God changed at the fall. But if we know that before the foundations of the earth were laid, Jesus was slain, and if we know that you were always destined to be conformed into the image of Jesus, then that did not change God because he already knew what you would look like. So God did not change at the fall. So what was Jesus doing on the cross? Was he reconciling God to us or us to God? The word tells us, it says, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. It did not say God was so angry at man and Jesus now says, all right, all right, I'll die, I'll take all of your anger and then you don't have to be angry at them. And then essentially, God then changes at the cross. And now he's like, all right, I'm back to happy, God. I'll love you. Oh, I'll love you now afterwards. So are you saying that God changes at the cross? Or is it that we were stuck in our delusion and Jesus is bridging that great divide and saying, it's all right. They don't see it. They don't know it. But I am going to bring them in. I'm going to reconcile them to you because God was already good. God didn't have to change. God never looked away from you. God doesn't do abandonment. Right? 
And so what the legal orientation, this is what we've been given, is that we say, all right, Jesus came to take all of the punishment of your sin on that cross so that God could change towards you, and now it makes God safe, and now it makes God good, and now we can interact with the good side of God. And really what that does is it actually shreds the Trinitarian life. If the Trinity is so closely linked that we could describe them as one, then how can Jesus have one intention for man and God have the other intention of man? And now we have a dualistic God separated like a bipolar being. But in, and, and also... If you make holiness only moral perfection and that you can fulfill the law of not sinning, then, then it makes God just, well, all right, you're, you know, I'm a moral being and so I have to make sure that you're morally perfect so you can be near me. If that's what you do, then you get a bunch of weird stuff. Because, if, as Paul says, Jesus not only looked upon sin, but Jesus became sin. And if Jesus never once violated the Trinitarian life inside of Adam's skin, then how can Jesus be becoming sin and God saying, well, I'm totally holy and I have to be separate? What you're saying is the Trinity no longer was one because they were separated by sin. If that ever happens, then all of creation ceases to exist. The Trinitarian life is the thing that continues our life. You can't have this dualism because God was in Christ Jesus. What about that? That Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But God was inside of Jesus reconciling the world to himself. You hear the dualism going on here? But this, let me not get on a, too much of a tangent as I already am. But let me, let me show you this main part. Is that if you say, all right, God. Jesus took care of all of our problems and we can now approach you. All right, God's good with us now and there's not this wall in between us. We can now approach God. Then how do you approach him? How do you get there? It's like this. Imagine this picture. It's kind of like the Israelites in the desert. So they come to the mountain. They come to Mount Sinai. And God's on that mountain. And God says, I want you to come up here. And Israel says, no, we're too scared. We, you go, Moses. And so they send some of the elders and whatnot, but eventually it's just Moses. So what God, if you say, I'm painting a picture for you, if you say, all right, that scary God sitting on the mountain is now gone, right? Jesus changes his God by his blood on the cross, and now there's no punishment and there's no stuff, right? And you now can approach God. You still have to climb the mountain. You can't get up that mountain. Because then that would be your own self-effort, and it says that grace is a free gift. And this is what we get in Christianity today. It's okay. You're good with God now. You're no longer guilty. But you're broken and you're hurting and you've got all this anxiety, you've got all this depression, you've got all this pain, you've got all this hurt, and now you have to spend the rest of your life trying to heal yourself. You've got to get up the mountain. Because what it does is it reconciles us to God, but it does not convert us. 
It reconciles God to us, but it does not bring us pros face to face. And so what we do is we say, well, when you die, you'll get to go to heaven, and then you will be healed and whole and perfect, and you'll go up there, and then you can be face to face with God. And so really what saves us from our bankruptcy down here on earth is that you die, not Jesus. Ooh, I felt that in the room, and I liked it. (laughs) I just, what is the saying in Christianity? Well, we just want to be whole. We just want to be whole. All right, there, there's your problem. You have to get up that mountain. It's your own self-works. It's your own self-build. It's you working on yourself probably for the rest of your life. But what if the revelation is that we have missed what the incarnation truly means and what the ascension really did? The incarnation is that he is God in flesh living as Adam, living in our bankruptcy. And he says, now I'm going to die as you. I'm going to rise as you. And I'm going to ascend as you. What he is saying is, I'm going to pay for everything. I'm going to bring atonement. I'm going to bring restoration. I'm going to bring life back into you right now, today. And not only am I going to make it perfect, I'm going to get rid of the delusion that keeps you away from God. But I'm literally going to pick you up like a little lamb. And I'm going to carry you up that mountain and bring you face to face with my father. What that is saying is Jesus finished it. You need a better Christological lens. We need to become the highest Christology people in the world. Jesus did it, y'all. He died to kill everything. He plunged everything into death. He brought everything into new life. And then he carried you face to face to the Father. Because he imputed his righteousness upon you. And when you get the revelation of righteousness, as it says in Romans 8, if you get pierced with the revelation of righteousness, then you'll come off that old milk and you'll really start seeing You'll get weaned from having to do it yourself, work it yourself. You'll get weaned from the law. And you'll just realize, whoa, I'm in. I'm there. And all of my healing and all of that stuff and all of my restoration is really taking the glasses off of the lies that I've believed. Because how can we be face-to-face with the Father and not fully whole? The only solution is, that we have been made whole, and we're coming into the revelation of that. You were predestined to be conformed into whose image? Jesus' image. And as a new creation, adopted child, you're there. So what does that mean? That means you don't have to wait anymore to go to heaven. You can start today. If Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and Paul says we are now seated in heavenly places, the reality is everything that you've put in heaven can be today. That we can have communion and union with Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. And all the healing you're looking for has been given to you, and it's the revelation 
of you being, you know what righteousness means? Go look it up in the Greek lexicon. It means being as you ought to be. And it says that Jesus imputed his righteousness. Jesus was as he ought to be. And he said, now I'm going to impute my righteousness and I'm going to make you just as you ought to be. So I can look at every single person in this room and look, you may not fully see it. You may not fully know it yet. And you may just be living in your delusion. And so you'll act those things out. But the reality is I can look at you for who you are and I can say you are as you ought to be in Jesus. And the day that you see that clearly is the day that you don't have to live in any other way. You were created for the purpose to be conformed to Jesus, and that means he's your older brother, right? And we're in one giant family. That means your nature, from the beginning, before anything was created, your nature was to become like Jesus. You know what it means? The most natural thing for you to do is to be conformed into his image, to live like him. It's not against your nature. What's against your nature is to sin, why does sin hurt so bad? Why does it bring so much pain? Why does it bring so much suffering? Because any moment you think th anything, say anything, do anything that would not be inside that Trinitarian life, it is totally against everything you were created to be. And it brings pain and it brings suffering and it brings hurt. Because it's like a fish trying to be a monkey. And it's really hard to live that way. And that's why there's so much pain. I can feel the room going, what? <laughs> Except for Dee, she's got it. <laughs> but as I stand before Jesus, and the more that I bask in the light of who he is, the more I discover I see myself in a mirror. But I'm actually looking into Jesus' eyes. That's what it's saying. So when It's saying the danger is if you go look in the mirror and you think you're going to see yourself and then you actually see, I was destined before the creation of the world to look like this. And then if you go out and you don't live like that, you forget what it was that you saw. Look, I do that daily a lot. I look in the mirror and I go, Jesus, and then I walk out and then I maybe don't remember that. But, <laughs> but the reality is he's saying, if you will look deeply into that mirror and see your Genesis face, who you were always meant to be, you will live in life because that's truth. The most powerful truth of who you are is that you were always meant to be. There was never a moment God changed his plan for you there was never a moment he turned his back on you. There was never a moment he looked away from you. His intention was always for this to be completed. The greatest plan of creation is that Jesus would become human, and he is now still the incarnate son sitting at the right hand of the Father. You would say, how do I find this healing? How do I live in this life? How do I get this revelation? Because Jesus did not just come to fulfill a legal problem. Jesus came to bring us into the family. Because if Jesus filled a legal problem, he could come as a man, 
fulfill the legal problem, and then he could ascend to the Father and stop living in union with us. But Stephen, when he's being stoned, he looks up and he sees, I see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. What Stephen saw right before he died was Jesus, a human, is sitting inside the Trinity. Your link, your connection to the Trinity is Jesus. And I love Jesus so much because every single moment of every single day for the rest of eternity, Jesus will be the conduit of connection between humanity and God. And he never laid that down. That was the plan from the very beginning is that I will become fully man and fully God. And inside that link, that constant connection that you have, you are whole, you are healed. This is what's so amazing. If you are standing face to face with the Father, then there's nothing that can be wrong with you. There's nothing. There was never a person that ran upon Jesus that did not get healed, right? There was never a person that didn't encounter Jesus that didn't get healed. So if you're standing face to the face of the Father, there's no way you're not healed. And if your body is not manifesting that, I'm going to pray and tell it to come. Right? So if there's any sickness in our body, I say that's not before the Father. So it's now the prayer of Jesus is what? Abba, my beloved Father, your kingdom come, heaven on earth right now. The reality that we are standing before the Father, fully healed, fully whole, fully alive, let it now manifest on earth just like it is in your spiritual realm. And so if somebody dies, I say you come back to life because that's not true. If somebody has sickness, I say that's not true. That's not real. It can come alive right now in Jesus' name. And in the same way, when you get the revelation of that and the peace and the joy and the life that comes from actually being part of the Trinity, you begin to live in everything the kingdom gives you. So, what God is doing is he's proving to you he's good and he's showing you the truth. It was not programmed in us just to love God. It was actually the, in the encounter of who he is that gives us total freedom. I've said it many, many times before, and I'll probably say it every single week from here on out, is that the truth shall set you free. And the truth, when you hear the truth about who God is, he is relational. He is never austere. He is love. He is never other than that. He is selfless, not selfish. And his intention was always good for you. When you hear that truth, it suddenly goes, ah, I'm good. There's no separation. There's nothing that can separate me. There's no other side of God going, oh, I really want to hurt him. No. And what that does is that truth brings assurance. And assurance says that you're, faith, you're, you're safe. And then that gives you freedom. Freedom to reach out and love others. To love God. To love yourself. And then you get to love God, not because you're selfish looking for healing, Oh, God, I really need this healing right now, but I want to worship you. But I really need this because I messed up. But I want to worship you. No, the reality is, Jesus, you're so good. You're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. And there's no other questions. And that full assurance says, I get to love God 
with no alternative motives. It's just that I love him because I'm free to love him, and I have that free choice. And then you share in the Trinitarian life today and for eternity.